Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. All right, welcome back to episode 28 of On the Table Gaming. As always, we're joined by myself, Chase, and Josh. Hey guys, how's it going? And we're going to be talking about, as we've been talking about for the last 28 episodes, A Song of Ice and Fire, <laughs> the miniature game. Surprise if you came here for uh, something else. Whoops. <laughs> Today's about key forge. <laughs> Woohoo! Here we go. Forging the key. That's right. So you know, it's been it's been relatively quiet. I'd have to say for the past couple of weeks. I do think there was. I did see a lone raven though that had snuck into the rookery. Oh well, let's let's go check it up. Let's go uh, up, upstairs. I got that squeaky door fixed, so we'll just go up there and hop right in. Okay, what do we got? Well, we got one of my favorite characters from the books, Corin Halfhand, unwavering ranger, and his ability is sacrifice for the cause. Once per game, at the start of a round, target one enemy unit and then kill Corrin. That enemy unit may not activate this round. Whoa, and it's an NCU, and we don't know the points. Um, but this seems really interesting. So then you kill your NCU, huh? That is a that is a steep price to pay, but that is pretty. That's a pretty bomb ability, especially like late turns. Like, you know, like at the end of the game, you're like, well, I'm only going to use it one more time anyway. Let me just throw this out there. And it says that enemy unit, right? So that means you could target an enemy's NCU. So he could shut down another NCU. What NCU would, I mean, well, I mean, you're losing your guy. Yeah. Let's see. Sansa's ability isn't an NCU. She doesn't activate to use it. Varus doesn't activate to use his ability, right? No, because I think when you activate him is when he claims a spot on the tactics zone or tactics board. Right. I mean, I feel like this would probably make more sense if you were doing something like, okay, I'm about to get like rear charged by the Knights of Casterly Rock with the mountain. I'm going to completely stop that for a turn. Gosh, yeah. Not just a turn for the round. So a lot like of shenanigans. Yeah. I mean, that's a massive thing. I, so, And it says may not activate. So I'm assuming that also means you can't use any sort of like, well, would free activations count? Or you just can't like literally can't do anything with that unit at all. Right. Is a free activation is an activation, right? I would think so. Yeah. So wow. that would just basically completely stuck. I mean, but then you're paying like how many points and you're losing an NCU, which. Yeah, but, you know, depending on how many points it is, like we'll take your your 10 points of uh, Knights of Castle Rock and, uh, and oh, yeah. the Mountain that Rides and be like, you guys just, just chill for a bit. And we'll see, uh, you know, what other, with the conscripts coming out, we're going to have a few more Night's Watch units being fielded. Um, it'll be cool to see how this maybe shakes up that current Night's Watch meta. But speaking of metas and uh, how people are playing the game. <laughs> that was a smooth, smooth transition. <laughs> there we go. We, we sent out a, a really basic kind of poll. Uh, one of those things where we were just testing the waters and, and want to see what the community response would be. Because we realized that as the game's growing, we don't have a lot of data, right? We're trying to build out our website so that we can capture tournament data. We started to think, hey, you know, what's the community perception of the game? And it'd be fun to kind of compare that down the line with other data and maybe see where we are in another six months because the game only came out last august i mean the game is still so young Isn't that crazy to think about that this has been less than a year that the game i mean i feel like it's we maybe just because we're doing the podcast but it feels like it's been around a really <laughs> long time but yeah it's like it's less than a year old that's that's insane and you know we've already had two new factions come out and uh, there seems to be more on the horizon so this game is growing really fast especially when i compare it to some of the other games i play things like star wars legion were just announced after a full year, that there's going to be another faction coming out like next Thanksgiving. Pre prequel stuff, boo. Yeah, yeah. And this is this this game's already pumping out. You know, there's some great starter sets you can get, easy to jump in with. I don't know. These guys are really Simon uh, is really pushing out the content here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Star Wars is a hard IP to work with because there aren't as many. Like, I think 
Game of Thrones is such a like a massive mine of cool stuff to build. Mm-hmm. I think Star Wars, like I mean, as much as Star Wars is a beloved universe, there is there's only so many different kinds of stormtroopers that have existed, and like right. until they start making like the Gungan faction or something, then uh, or, <laughs> or the Ewok the or Armada, yeah, <laughs> that would be uh, when it would get really uh, weird. But in the meantime, I mean, just you could do so much with the houses in Game of Thrones that I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of depth there and a lot of room to explore. So looking at our first uh, question that we asked the community, and uh, we had just, you know, a little shy of 500 responses uh, on the upper 400s here. Which faction in A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniature game, do you primarily play? Josh, what would you have guessed for this? Well, I mean, I'm looking at the data. So I, I mean, but if I wasn't <laughs> looking at the data, I would I would say Stark or Lannister, just because I know that there's such a huge number of people that bought into the two player starter kit. Uh, especially from the Kickstarter. That, and I think that's a lot of people's like intro to the factions. Uh, and so I think I'm going to guess. Also, they've been out the longest. I'm going to guess either Starker. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I thought too. And, I, and the same logic there. But I assumed that out of those two, that House Stark would have the bigger sort of fan favorite backing that, you know, people might get into the game, not necessarily to play Pycelle or Tywin but would maybe want to be like the, the Stark heroes, Eddard Stark, Sansa, Catelyn, you know, the kind of the, the, the maybe the TV series favorites. Yeah, um, exactly. And I was surprised to see that House Lannister edged out House Stark. You know, 37% of the, the self-reporting community members here play House Lannister with House Stark coming in at 32%. So close, but, you know, I, I feel like that's kind of a significant lead in Lannister players. It means that more than a third of total players in the game are jerks. So that's oh. an interesting nugget oh. of information. Shot, shots fired, all you Lannister players. Oh. Now, as, a, as a reformed Lannister player, I don't know which side to take here. I was like, do I go back and defend the Lannisters? Do I defend their honor or what? You know, I think as, as uh, Carl the Peacekeeper has put it best on a Song of Ice and Fire CC.com, Lannisters are lovely people, controlling, manipulative, and vicious. Plus, since the Lannisters are better than everyone else, I don't have to be. Vote Lannister. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I think that there's definitely um, a sense, and it, you know, we're, we're still working on the tournament data, so it's hard to say like how much of it is actually correct. But there is a sense out there that the Lannisters are probably one of the best factions overall in terms of just power. Uh, and I would, I would, I would think that that has a lot to do with it. You know, the 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 first time you get cracked with like a Lannister supremacy role, you're just like. <laughs> that yeah. is a powerful unit. Um, and, you know, Knights of Castle Rock are amazing. Uh, Mountain That Rides is amazing. Crosswomen are amazing. So I think the, the Lannisters have a lot of really cool stuff at this point in time. And, and that probably contributes quite a bit to their uh, arrow victory over the Starks. And I, I think, you know, the Lannisters is just a, such a friendly faction to start up, right? Because if, if positioning isn't quite as key, if you've got a guardsman unit with a guards captain, you know, you can make some mistakes and be okay, and you can really focus on learning the other aspects of the game and then kind of scale back and start uh, revisiting, like, your maneuvering and positioning more. Um, we're not so much with House Stark. I think at House Stark, you really got to be on point, and, uh, you know, your troops have very specific purposes and things they have to do, and they don't currently, besides maybe House Tully's sworn shields, they don't have any units there that you're kind of like, well, whoops, put it in the wrong spot. Like, you, you got me. I'll just take the damage and then I'll just keep on fighting. Yeah. I mean, besides, I think maybe the Outriders too are a little bit like that because if you do screw up, as long as you don't get surrounded, you can you can run away. But I mean, generally speaking, I think that, um, yeah, the Starks is, is a higher a higher learning curve because you really have to win combat with the Starks. That's like one right. of their key sort of faction identity where Lannisters, 
you know, even if you're not winning combat, as long as you're playing to the objectives and, and just getting there, it's, it's so hard to dislodge you because even your basic troops are so serviceable uh, that they have a lot of really awesome. And I, I think they probably have the deepest toolbox overall. And I think, you know, maybe the, the House Lannisters forces maybe are a little bit more challenging to maybe get to the objectives at time because of their slower speed often, but they That's... have ways to play around that. And so you can uh, work to negate some of those weaknesses. Yeah. I mean, they have some some of the hardest hitting units in the game offensively between, right. you know, pyromancers, crossbowmen, uh, halberdiers, and uh, the Knights of Casterly Rock. They have a lot of really good ways to to knock a unit off of an objective. Um, and so I think they've got a, a good amount of, you know, take a place and hold it, but then also a good amount of, you know, ways to dislodge the enemy. Then coming in at third place with 17% of the community that self-reported playing the Night's Watch. So any, any surprise there? No, I mean, it, it's almost shook out in sort of like the order that they were released. So Night's right. Watch, I think is, is definitely gained a ton of traction. I mean, there was some availability because it had sold out so well, uh, in a lot of cases. So, uh, I think having played as the night's watch against the night's watch they're a super super fun faction of play uh i think they're incredibly powerful uh they just i think you know when we had uh don shelke on you know the thing he mentioned was they don't have as many sort of big play opportunities because they tend to just be very good uh but i think they're also a great faction to start the game out with because they are just so good and their basic troops are, are really powerful yeah i think so too as they as they build out with more units i think this is going to be a faction that we see as kind of like a rising star. But I actually did think it would be a little bit higher. Maybe because I'm, I'm just comparing it to the Free Folk, which was next, down at 10%. Because I just figured when the, the Night's Watch came out, um, at least maybe from maybe I'm being a little bit of a, my, uh, my perceptions being kind of tainted by being at PAX Unplugged. But when people saw the Night's Watch down there, that was one of the first things. They'd be, oh, my gosh, is that Jon Snow? Like, oh, what yeah. is this game? And like there was so much st star power for outside people looking in on the game that I assumed that people would maybe jump in on that a little bit harder than on the already established Lannister and Starks. Certainly the free folk at 10%, maybe the free folk don't have as much drawing power. Also, I think there's maybe some disincentives to, to play the free folk at this time yes. being so new. I think that they're new. They're kind of a little bit more expensive to collect because they do tend to be a swarmier army. So you do have to like buy more stuff typically. Um, and I think also there's the perception that they're not very good. And uh, I think, you know, hopefully that's been dispelled by the Adepticon results uh, that, you know, you can definitely win high level tournaments with free folk. Uh, but I think, you know, if you look on like Facebook and stuff, that that's something that that's maybe part of the reason people are like, oh, maybe I won't collect that army because it's everyone says they're no good. Right. Yeah. And then House Bolton at the bottom, 5% of people reporting. That's their primary faction. And honestly, if I had to put money down and guess what the results are going to be, I would have predicted that. Yeah. I think, to be fair, and you know, I love all you House Bolton players out there, if you're playing that faction purely as its own faction and not just incorporating them into your other, other units and other, your units into other lists, I really think without the House Bolton Blackguard that that is a very challenging faction to play. Something that when people initially look at it and they say, oh, look at the flayed men. Wow, that's so terrifying. Like, how can anyone defeat them? Uh, there's actually pretty easy ways to take them down. I feel like the faction right now is just missing some key pieces. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's had, it has had the fewest releases. It has the fewest number of NCUs, the fewest number of attacks. Just, you know, it's the one that's the most underdeveloped. It's, it's pretty much... Uh, you know, there's like, what, like three total things that are available for purchase at this point in time, besides right. the neutral heroes. So um, I think it's super cool. I think it's eventually going to be an awesome faction. And, 
you know, neutral just being the fact that it can be joining into multiple factions. I mean, that's going to expand out into a whole bunch of different ways, you know, uh, areas. So I think as they add more mercenaries to the, uh, you know, to the game, uh, you'll just see that kind of, that mercenary faction will really take off and and be, uh, I think Bolton's, you know, technically that's like the mercenary faction, right? Right. Uh, so you could have an army down the road that's going to be like a mercenary faction that's like Boltons and Freys and Gold Company, you know, uh, all together in one place as mercenaries. And then, you know, which of the following factions you do, do you collect? It was House Lannister and House Stark, both with 25% of the vote, right? That makes sense. Not yeah. a lot of people maybe buying the starter set and giving away their other half. Um, or if so, I guess it's balancing out somewhere. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, the neutrals, House Bolton being the third most popular faction to collect at 19%, which also makes sense because I could say, hey, I collect this faction because I bought a unit of Bastard Girls or I bought a unit of Flayed Men to or use like the, with the my other factions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like everybody who is a Kickstarter backer by default isn't, you know, they have a, they are a Bolton collector because they've got Bolton stuff. And then uh, I was at 19%. Then the Night's Watch is at 18% of people collecting. And then the free folk at 13%. So kind of all clumped together. And I think we might read this as maybe a lot of people are, if not playing one primarily, are collecting most of the stuff that's coming out. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's really cool, actually, that, that, you know, even if people aren't like, you know, they have their primary faction of choice, of course, but that it's kind of spread pretty evenly across all the factions that people are, are, are interested in. That's really cool. I mean, having gotten to play pretty much everything, I think it's so awesome to have like a bunch of different factions to be able to field. Absolutely. And I feel like, you know, honestly, this is not necessarily always typical for a lot of war games. I mean, I know you're probably some people are listening right now being like, what are you talking about? Every war game I play, I own everything. (laughs) But, you know, in this case, having a lot of people playing much of the stuff that's out there uh, and being the the lower price point, it ends up meaning you can buy more of this stuff. But uh, owning more of it allows you to know the rules and mechanics and how other factions play. And I think that's going to lead to a better, uh, a more well-educated player base when it comes to abilities and what things do. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, back when I used to play X-Wing, I would have at least a couple of everything. And I mean, part of that is again, yeah, the lower price point, you know, so the unit boxes here are, are pretty inexpensive compared to most miniatures games. So if there was going to be a game where you can get in, you know, a pretty ridiculous amount of stuff, uh, you know, this would be the one. I, and I think people are, are kind of testing the waters with different factions. And then is this your first tabletop war game? 79% no, 21% yes. So we're getting some some new people onto it, but it's this is uh, quite clearly a a game that war gamers are playing, tabletop war gamers. Yeah, I mean, but that's still a pretty big number, you know? I mean, like, you're talking about, like, two out of every ten players, this is their first war game. And I think that, you know, even though you know, we'd expect that number, I would expect that number to be even higher, because miniatures games tend to be, like, you are a miniatures gamer, and you kind of, like, you know, you played Warhammer before. Right. But that means that two out of ten people, like, this is their first miniature game, so that means that they're coming from, like, the board game world or the card game world or something else, and first foray which i think you know that kind of shows what that what simon did with making this game sort of a hybrid of a board game card game miniatures game has really paid off and is starting to sort of broaden the the player base of this game yeah and it makes me wonder too um you know what role do we have as people who play war games coming from a war gaming background in how we interact with community members you know sometimes you'll see things posted on the facebook page that might seem obvious or simplistic. I think it's important to remember that, you know, like you said, two out of 10 people 
maybe this is the first time they've ever played any game like this. And, you know, measuring, like, you know, do I measure from the front of the unit or the back of the unit or how do I slide it? You know, simple, simple stuff that this might be their first time dealing with that at all. And so that's when you post a GIF of the nun saying shame because you shame those people. Bad question. <laughs> I'm joking, Chase. <laughs> like, wait, no, what? Yeah, you're like, wait a minute, that's counterproductive to the growth of the game. <laughs> and then, uh, which a song of ice and fire <laughs> communities are you a part of? Uh, as soon as I put this up here and people started voting, I realized I'd left a big community out, and so my apologies. Uh, I have listed the A Song of Ice and Fire Facebook group, which was 44% of people voting. The A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit, 23%. The A Song of Ice and Fire Discord, which was 17%. The official forums, which was 15%. And as people pointed out, I did not mention the Board Game Geek community. And I know they've, that's a really oh, yeah. active site, and there's a forum on there that people are talking in. And if you are listening and you are a part of that, my apologies, and thanks for listening. And if you are not part of that community, it's something you want to check out and and uh, and see. They've got a lot of cool stuff. For sure. Board Game Geek is a little bit of like an old-fashioned website, but it still is a massive community of people who play board games. And I think in a lot of cases, it's also a really great way to reach people who may not otherwise know about this game. Uh, so definitely, if you you know are looking for a fact with other people who play the game, that's a good place to go. For the next question, did you back the A Song of Ice and Fire Kickstarter? I was really excited to see this result. Yeah, this this is a this is a good one. Fifty three percent of the people who voted on this poll did not back the Kickstarter, so over half have not. You know, they they're recent converts to the game. That's a, that's another big number, I think. You know, if you think about, I think especially when we were like in the first few months after the game came out, it felt like a lot of the people were just purely Kickstarter backers, and there wasn't a lot of like. You know, retail presence or people buying into the game after it was released. But this is a good sign because this means that half the people that are playing this game right now have bought into it post-release, which is like so cool. It means that the Kickstarter got the ball rolling, but it didn't eat up all the sales for the entire game, which is uh, a really good sign for the future health of the game. Absolutely. And now we get down to the, the good stuff here. And uh, <laughs> with everything we're talking about, this is just a handful of people who voted. Uh, it was, you know, just I think our most popular response was like, you know, 470, 480 people, which does not represent the full Song of Ice and Fire community. I know that because when there were 4,000 people that visited the site for our April Fool's Day joke, <laughs> and we only got 400 votes on this poll, um, we can say, yeah, not everybody's voting. So, so, so this is a small sample. And if you're listening and uh, you follow the podcast and you watch our YouTube videos and you go to Song of Ice and Fire, cc.com, we really appreciate it when you take the time to, to fill these polls out. But here's what we really want to get down to now. We can get into uh, which faction do you feel is the most powerful at this time? All right, Josh, are you surprised with these results? Uh, I am. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's it's interesting. I, should we just talk about which, what they are? Because, I, I you know, what, yeah. there's, there's one answer in particular that I found particularly interesting, which was uh, that the game is in a perfect state of balance. Got 26% of the votes. So like a quarter of people feel that, like, everybody has exactly the right chance to win which is like that's that's pretty great that's phenomenal yeah now what do you attribute that to? do you think like there's gonna be some nuance in there that maybe the poll doesn't allow to be expressed do you think it's just that like literally everything is perfectly balanced despite the fact that some factions have only had you know a starter set and some have a ton of units or do you think they mean that the game's in a perfect state of balance in that uh, if you're good enough, you can win with anything. I think, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's what thing. they're talking about. Yeah, I yeah. think it's, 
I mean, because obviously there's some factions that have more more flexibility in, in units, but I think that what they're saying there is that, yeah, if you bring the right game plan that you can win with uh, any of the factions that are currently available at release. Which, you know, that's an awesome sign because the worst thing you can have is if like, let's say like Bolton's like they never really get much more help in terms of like new units, then like it would suck if you wanted to play Bolton's because then you'd be like, okay, well, I just kind of give my opponent an advantage. But, you know, being a balanced game and knowing that like, you know, if you put, make the right moves uh, that, you know, you can win, I think that's, it just makes it more fun for everybody. And so uh, House Lannister came out on top of this poll at 30%. Then the Night's Watch, 28%. The game's in a perfect state of balance, 26%. House Stark, 11%. The Free Folk and House Bolton, or the Neutrals, came in at the bottom with 2%. So the idea that the game's in a perfect state of balance, that's, you know, that was our third most populous choice. I think that really is significant. But also, it's important to note, House Lannister at the top, the Night's Watch a second. House Stark, you know, uh, 11%. I don't know what happened there. Sorry, guys. I, you know, we, then, we let you down. And the Free Folk and House Bolton's like, you know, they're just, just getting onto the board. Yeah, two uh, well, percent. I think if you're looking at like most powerful faction, I think you know again the prevailing opinion on both Free Folk and Bolton is that they are you know probably the ones that need the most help or the most skill to play, uh, and so that probably contributes to them being not considered the most powerful. Um, I think most powerful is you know it's obviously subjective, right? I mean, I could feel right. like Stark is the most powerful, but. Um, it really depends. I mean, if I look at it objectively, I think that Lannister probably is one of the most powerful, but most powerful doesn't necessarily mean overpowered, which I think is a key distinction is like, you know, something can be really good, but it doesn't mean it's like breaking the game good. You right. know? I think Lannister and Night's Watch are very, very good, but neither of them are insurmountable. So I think when um, you play House Stark, I feel like they're very powerful. When I play House Stark, for some reason, though, I feel like they're not very powerful. So I, I wish there was a way I could reflect that in, in my vote. But yeah, I've lost a lot of games with House Stark, too, though. I, and, you know, it's one of those things where I think this game has got enough going on with it that, like, you know, a, a, a tricky play, you know, claiming the right zone on the tax board with an NCU, playing the right card, like those makes such a difference in the outcome of the game that like if you, you can't you really can't look at just raw stats, because when right. you do, you're ignoring every other element of the game, including the variance of the dice, right? Which is like another factor as well. Um, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think Stark on paper might, you know, might feel a little less powerful in some instances, but I think they have some of the best tools uh, in the game for just pure combat. And that's, you know, that's my favorite part of the game. So that's, uh, that's why I like them so much. And all this data is borne out in the next question too. Which faction do you see as being the least powerful, the free folk, the Boltons, which came in as the, the the bottom rankings of most powerful. Those guys are up there again at the top. Then all factions are currently perfectly in balance. And then it's Stark, Lannister, Night's Watch. So a little bit of flip at the bottom as those people saying the least powerful. Night's Watch coming out as less powerful. Oh, no, that's... A... Yeah, I basically flipped it upside down with the yeah. Night's Watch and Lannister's switching My, my brain was just trying to work. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean... I definitely think, you know, you'd have a hard time arguing that those are like legitimately the least powerful factions. I think probably people, <laughs> people out there like, come on, man. Those uh, those people voting for Night's Watch or Lannister being like, we're so underpowered. Right. It's hard to, hard to have some sympathy when you're, you know, got people running around uh, shooting arrows or giant siege weapons blasting units apart. Right. Yeah. And when I saw the Night's Watch, you know, recover like eight wounds in a turn one time, it's like, just like, like oh, uh, just nightmares, just wake yeah. up. Oh. 
<laughs> so I don't know that you could say that they're the least, but you know, again, it's, it's subjective, right? So maybe somebody right. has like, you know, they played with Night's Watch or against Night's Watch. Maybe they're playing an opponent who's not very good. And they're just like smoking every time. They're like, Night's Watch suck. But like, you know, do they really? Because I think that like in the tournaments that we've seen, the Night's Watch are usually in like the top tables for sure. Well, that's what I want to see. And that's why I'm so excited to start collecting the, the tournament data to compare to this is that um, I'm seeing a lot of like top 10 Night's Watch. Yeah, exactly. But I'm not yeah. seeing like ne- necessarily a lot of like first place Night's Watch. And it's like, it's just interesting to be like, you know, what does that mean when you're seeing a, a faction like maybe not being like over, like not even overly represented in a tournament scene, but getting to those top, those finals, but then maybe not always claiming that top spot. Like, you know, what does that mean? Well, so maybe that does play into their strength of like, you know, they do have a lot of consistency, but they don't have that big play potential. So maybe consistency is enough to get them to the dance, but then without that big play potential, they're not able to close out that big game at the end. Yeah. And I wonder with the release of like the conscripts, uh, if that's going to change and, and provide new tactics with maybe using units to screen, like a cheaper unit to screen your Scorpion builder crew. And maybe we'll see a little bit more play with that. But you know, we'll I mean, see. whenever you put out like, because the, between the hero box and the, and the conscripts, I mean, like that's going to throw a lot more variation into Night's Watch list. I mean, like right now, the Night's Watch, like their cheapest unit is six points and they've got right. two different eight point units. Like they tend to be a very elite army and they have like a limited amount of like space just because everything's so expensive. So getting that uh, cheaper unit in place, even though it's, you know, obviously not as effective co- in a combat sense, but you know, that opens up a lot more possibilities of adding more attachments, playing around with more NCUs. Maybe you're going to take core and half hand and, you know, shut down a unit for an entire round. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of trickery that can be done. Absolutely. And then, you know, we've got some new stuff on the horizon that might shake things up a bit. We have the Stormcrows, which are a neutral faction. Those might be kind of cool to incorporate into any one of these lists, except for the Free Folk, because of no coin beyond the wall. What makes something powerful? Like, you might have a, a, a maybe that'll be something that can help the Night's Watch have a little bit more swing, or maybe it'll bring more bring more consistency to the Starks, or something to that effect. Starks are pretty consistent. They are. <laughs> but they're, I always think of them as like, Whenever I'm playing against the Starks, I realize like it really sucks to get outmaneuvered and like beaten down by them. Uh, if you can just target the right units, you know, and kind of I'm thinking of a free folk player here, but now and just like smash it down. Like berserkers yeah. are terrifying, and the more you damage them, the more powerful they get. So like just really smash them down. Like, yeah, but don't, that's the thing. Don't like, mess around. If you can surround them, you know, and just kill them, you have to kill them with wounds. So that's the trick. It's because right. you know the morale damage is probably not going to happen. So. But if you get two units of raiders on them and just manage to like just because, uh, you know, their armor is terrible, you know, so all of your hits are probably going to or most of your hits are going to go through. So it's just a question of, you know, just ganging up on them and, and making sure that they can't get off those big attacks. Uh, obviously, you know, if you get down to like last rank with a berserker unit and you're rolling 10 dice, then it's like, OK, well, now I'm deleting like a raider unit a turn yeah. pretty much. But, um, you know, that, that is the sort of push pull with, with that, that one unit. miniature. The yeah. one guy left, <laughs> like, oh, just don't go near that guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause that's like your, that's like your, you know, nuclear bomb. But like, <laughs> if you have the right set of circumstances, you know, a berserker unit is like super fragile. And then, you know, you could wipe them out pretty easily if you get, if you like damage to them. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, I mean, they're still probably my favorite unit in the Stark arsenal. I just enjoy cavalry. Um, but yeah, berserkers are just, oh, man, they're so good. <laughs> and they're fun to play against. I like that they're fast, and and it's kind of that weird like you know you do have to kill them. It's like a threat you can't ignore, but but it, the if you deal with them like inefficiently, it really builds up. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. And and then it's just like they're just mowing down everybody, and it's it's so fun. Like when you get a berserker unit to kill a unit and punch through to the other side of their line, and now you're behind That's behind them. them. Oh, oh, it's the best. <laughs> It's the best feeling ever. <laughs> the last question was, do you plan to purchase additional factions for a Song of Ice and Fire the Miniatures game? 94% of people saying, yes, they are going to purchase more factions. So there, a lot of people, it seems, are going to be playing multiple factions for this game. Maybe a little bit of a completionist. Maybe we're bringing over a little bit of that board gaming crowd and mentality into a, a traditional war game. There is something to say about that, especially like people who are like backing Kickstarters. Like, you know, part of that crowd is like looking for like having this just absurd set of stuff you know yeah. uh and so the more stuff that comes out the the you know the more options they have to get more cool plastic miniatures and i think especially once they start branching out into you know maybe like the targaryens and stuff that has like some really splashy miniature that's when it's going to get just completely crazy i mean i just i yeah i can't wait for that and you know I, i'm torn because it's at some part of me i feel like a lot of stuff has come out of this game and it's there's a lot of fast releases. Like, are we getting too much too soon? But then the other part of me is like, no, like I want all the factions out there, like this the base faction so I can play whatever, and then slowly like release the individual edition units. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like there's I mean, no Targaryen yet. I was just talking to my wife on the off the table podcast episode we did. Yeah, I listened to that. Week. It was great. <laughs> and she really wants to, like, I'm like, how about playing some free folk? And he's like, nah, <laughs> the Targaryens. He's waiting for Targaryens. And I got a buddy who's uh, dabbled a little bit, but hasn't bought in yet. He's he's waiting for Targaryens too. And it's like, well, that, that could be December or it could be, you know, who knows when. That's a great, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. And I, I'm interested to see what they do with the dragons there. I'm assuming, and I, you know, I could obviously be completely wrong, but they're not going to be like full grown dragons yet. They're probably going to be like the baby ones. Right. Or the very like the adolescent version of the, the angsty yeah. teen version. It's like <laughs> I don't want right. to go. Well, I mean, yeah, the the Targaryens. It's such a huge part of the story, huge part of the show. And like, come on, you're gonna have, you're gonna have Drogo, Dothraki, you know, Unsullied. There's gonna be right. so much awesome stuff uh, in a Targaryen army. That's yeah, just... and I think you know people walking by the game when it's being played, and they're like, oh, what are you playing? And you're like, I'm playing the Dirt Farmers, and it's like, what are you playing? Like <laughs> playing with dragons, and it's like, oh, okay, now I want to yeah. see what's going on. <laughs> yeah i i do think um you know there there are some people who and i'm one of them like i really like the low fantasy setting of game of thrones i like you know i like the fact that it's like you know it's like soldiers and knights and like more day-to-day -day life with a splash of fantasy thrown in uh and there's some people though that really do like you know the more high fantasy elements like you know, they want to see like dragons and giants and you know, all kinds of crazy stuff as soon as possible. Yeah. Interesting to see. Thank you so much for listening, guys. That was our uh, quick state of the game. So it was April 2019. We did our quick pulse check to see where things are at. We keep talking about the website. Uh, shout out to, to Yano and Brian, who've been working on helping us develop a, a system that can be the best for tracking tournaments. And uh, we've been talking about it for a while. And I'm, I'm not a programmer myself. And so it's been a lot of interfacing with them. And, and Yano plays A Song of Ice and Fire now. And, uh, you know, he's going Stark, so he's going to pump up those numbers on these statistics here. we got to get uh, some wins going. But um, <laughs> we actually designed something, and then we decided to start over because what we're looking at is trying to find a better way to integrate so that when you run a tournament, you can have a system that will help you input the data. Because if you have to sit down and input a 30-person bracket where they have two lists, that's a lot of data for the TO. So we're trying to make it so that it can be automated and maybe help run brackets for you. And so the 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 alpha now of it is actually pretty cool. 
and uh, we've got to make it look prettier and and add some tweaks in, and then we're gonna have to have some people play test it, and we're hoping to get that rolled out soon. Um, but just kind of giving people the the update on this thing that we keep talking about, uh, because we don't want it just to be about you know showing the data. We want to make it so that it's a useful tool for you. So thanks for everyone for their support. I know we've got a lot of people out in the Patreon now supporting us, and that helps go to the cost of the podcast, of the website, and uh, it's helping us kind of invest in these other programs too to build out our site and provide more for the community going forward. Because I think looking at the data here, even though we did kind of a really simple poll, I think it was kind of nice, right? Like being able yeah. to see what what are people thinking at this moment, the snapshot in time. For sure. I, I think, you know, I, it, we really appreciate everyone sharing their thoughts with us. And I, it's like something, you know, because it's, it's hard sometimes to get a sense of how the entire community feels about a subject. And I think a poll like this is a really great way to just get like a, you know, just a quick pulse on, on how the game is going, you know, what people think about various factions and, you know, obviously it gives us a podcast topic, so. <laughs> yeah, there we go, much, yeah. That's worth it in itself. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, until we talk to you next time, I hope you get your miniatures on the table. <laughs>